Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. This is the last sermon in our series, Church, Enjoying God's masterpiece. Uh, So far we've looked at biblical metaphors, seven of them for church. Uh, We've seen that church is God's people, church is God's kingdom, church is God's family, church is God's temple. Uh, We've seen that church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Uh, Last week we heard that church (laughs) is God's masterpiece. Uh, It's been a great series. I've been particularly encouraged just by hearing our collective rekindled joy for church. And as we've lifted our eyes from the sort of like on the ground daily practical doing of church and being church and lifted our eyes and seen God's view, God's holy, glorious, spiritual view, we've been re-excited for church. And then... Uh, even more excitement has been added in with our book of the term, Unmissable Church. Uh, It's been a term where we've been reminded that church truly is unmissable. If you're a Christian, you need church and church needs you. And so my job this week is to bring all of this home and we're going to do that by answering a question. Is church the universal gathering of all God's people throughout time or is church the local gatherings we can put names on? You know, like the Point Community Church or Port Macquarie Prezi, Port Macquarie Anglican Church. Uh, When the Bible uses the word church, is it speaking of uh, the universal church gathered around Jesus Christ throughout all of time Or when the Bible uses the word church, is it referring to local gatherings of God's people around the Bible? When we hear church, are we supposed to think universal or local? You ready for the answer? Both. All right. Somebody called it out really loud at morning church and I gave them a Mars bar. I didn't, but I was, if I had one, I would have. Okay. Uh, it, it is both. And so here's how the rest of this sermon is going to roll out. Uh, we, we're going to see that church is both universal and local. And then we're going to look at church is spiritual and practical. So they're the two headings. If you're taking notes, universal and local, spiritual and practical. And so firstly, church is both universal and local. When we see the word church in the Bible, sometimes it is referring to Jesus' universal church of all of God's people throughout history and geography. Uh, And sometimes when we see the word church in the Bible, it's referring to the local gathering of God's people. Don't take my word for it. Let's go. Uh, Colossians chapter 4. Open up the Bible. Colossians chapter 4 verse 15. Colossians 4, verse 15, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. 
And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so if there were cameras 2,000 years ago, we would have photos of the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea. Uh, They were churches that you could touch and feel and see and, and measure. And so within two verses of each other, Both of those churches are called church, not part of the church, not an expression of Jesus' church, but church. So there we see church as local. Now, turn back a couple of pages, Colossians 1, verse 18. Colossians 1, verse 18, and he, that is Jesus, that's what the previous verses, they've just been telling us about Jesus, and Jesus is the head of the body the church. And then skip down to verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Here, the word church, same word used in chapter 4, is referring to Jesus' universal church. Universal as in all of God's chosen people throughout all of history, all geography. And so within the same letter, the Apostle Paul can use one word to describe both Jesus' universal church and his local church. So church is universal and local. And so I want to draw out four implications. Uh, Firstly, Jesus' church is universal and local. Jesus' church, the emphasis on Jesus. Uh, The universal church is gathered around Jesus, literally. And the local church, if it is a true local church, is gathered around Jesus in his word. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we're told uh, that church is to build on the foundations of the prophets and the apostles. And so to be a Jesus local church, we need, to be a G, we need to be building on the Bible. You cannot say you're a Jesus church and ignore or disobey what Jesus, like just write off what Jesus has to say. So Jesus' church is universal and local. Secondly, Jesus' church is universal and local. Do you hear how I'm stressing different words out of the same sentence? And so this time we're looking at the word church. Church literally means gathering or assembly. Uh, Church, our English word for church comes from a Greek word, ecclesia, which back in the day just used to mean a gathering of people. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. I, Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia. Jesus is saying, I will build my gathering. Most Christians, if not all Christians, at some stage in their spiritual growth will ask the question, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? And the biblical answer is really clear, 100% categorically, yes. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his gathering. Now, we need to be real, don't we? Some 
Christians don't want to go to church because they have been abused by church. And and I'm not just talking about something we might find out of the Royal Commission. Uh, There's spiritual abuse. There's there's emotional abuse. And, And so we need to get alongside them and be patient and loving and kind. Don't, don't get all ninja. Well, get yourself to church. Jesus is building his gathering. No, no, lovingly, patiently, prayerfully, woo them back into a healthy church. But for most of us, our excuses for opting out of church is just that, excuses. Ah, the family's visiting this weekend, or, or boy, work, I'm just snowed under, or got so many assignments, got lots on. Weather's really nice, I might go to the beach today. Weather's really cold, I might stay under the blanket today. Uh, excuses for opting out on Jesus' gathering. God's people. Opting out on God's kingdom. God's family. God's temple. Jesus' body. Jesus' bride. God's masterpiece. Sisters and brothers, make church the greatest commitment in your life. Jesus is our senior pastor and he is building his church. He is building his gathering. Every single... um, Jesus, sorry, expects his church... Uh, his church to commit to each other. Okay, so thirdly, Jesus is building his universal and local church. And here the emphasis is on local. Uh, the Colossian church was Jesus' church. The, the Laodicean church was Jesus' church. The Point Community Church is Jesus' church. Every single local church that has ever been built on the scriptures is Jesus' church. Now, here's why I'm expressing and stressing local. Our tendency is to think that each local church is is like a little independent Lego build. And, And then what Jesus is going to do is snap them all together and then we're really Jesus' church in Lego build land. That's not the way the New Testament presents the picture of church. Uh, Each local church is Jesus' church. And here's where I'm indebted to an Aussie pastor. His name's Rory Shiner. And he says, instead of thinking about an individual Lego build that Jesus is going to snap together into all of his church, think of raindrops on a leaf. Each raindrop reflects all of the sun, S-U-N. So too the local church. Each church reflects all of the sun, S-O-N. Which is why local churches don't need to focus lots of energy on uniting under one roof. Paul didn't write to Colossae and say, now, Laodicea, it's only 15 kilometers away. Get together, do whatever you can to become one church. Paul said, read their letter, share your letter. Local churches 
already are united under one universal roof. Jesus has already done that. We are one. We are united as the universal church. And then we are Jesus' church as local churches. So, because we are part of Jesus' universal church, we should be respectful of other churches. We should pray for them. We should be encouraging. Uh, if there's a few things we can do together, like City Serve yesterday, that, that's a good thing. But, but we don't need to pour all of our energy. I don't actually think we should pour all of our energy into trying to be under one roof. That's already happening. What we should each do is reflect the sun as we make disciples who make disciples. Now, I said there were four implications. So far, I've only done three implications. The fourth one actually is our second sermon heading. And so as local churches, we are also spiritual and practical. We're spiritual and practical. A few seconds ago, I just said, uh, as local churches, we already are united under Jesus' universal roof. I want to look at that now. So go over to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians 1, verse 3. We're thinking about the fact that we are spiritual right now. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, places. We are blessed in the heavenly places. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, come to Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right now, we are raised up and seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. That's true for you. That's true for me individually, 24-7. And it is true for us corporately. Right now, we are seated with Jesus in the heavenlies. And we're sitting in Westport in a rented hall on chairs, seeing and touching each other, aren't we? How do we make sense of that? We're in heaven, seated with Christ. And we're seated right here in a high school. How do we make sense of that? Simple. We believe what we just read. We walk by faith. We trust the picture Jesus just painted for us. We believe him when he says, he's got us. We are in heaven with him. There's um, a, a reality that isn't just what we can touch and, and feel and see and measure. There is a reality that is supernatural and spiritual and otherworldly. 
Uh, it's captured often for us. Uh, uh, it's amazing how many times, when, when you first hear this, you start reading your New Testament, and wow, look at all the language of in Christ, with Christ. Uh, uh, in this next slide, I've just in these verses, I've circled it. Look at with Christ, with Him, with Him, in Christ Jesus. Uh, there, there's a doctrine, it's probably the biggest doctrine taught in the New Testament, to be un, uh, union with Christ. It's huge. I want to do a whole year on it, but I'm just going to give you 30 seconds and a little illustration. All right, so picture this is Christ, okay, and and this is us. And so in Christ, union with Christ and everything that the Bible has to say about that, Christ. None spilled. In us. Christ in us. It's, the Bible tells us so. We believe Christ is in us. By His Spirit, I believe. I may not see it. I may not be able to touch it. But the Bible tells me Christ is in me. And the Bible tells us that we are in Christ. That is reality. Now, it's spiritual. It's supernatural. And it is very, very real. Do you believe? Brother, sister, if, if you get the terminal cancer diagnosis this week, will you be okay? 100% yes. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. If the pressure gets and surmounts so much, and you end up in the mental health unit this week, will you be okay? 100%. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. If you bust your guts, you've been set on a career since you were in primary school, and you just completely tank in the HSC exams. Will you be okay? 100%. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. If this conversion therapy bill that I've uh, talked about in the weekly email, if, if, it, if it actually gets through Parliament, and as Christians we're no longer allowed to publicly pray or, or speak uh, about a Christian sexual ethic, Will we be okay? 100%. Christ is in us, and we're in Christ. If you are picked on and marginalized, or perhaps worse, for the rest of your life because you follow Christ, will you be okay? Absolutely. 100%. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. Like, this is unbreakable. Now, if I haven't grabbed what you're particularly anxious about right now, like, I'm sorry, but you get the point, don't you? No one or nothing can stop our king. And his name is Jesus Christ, and he's king of kings, and he's Lord of lords, and he's in us, and we are in him. That is our spiritual reality. Amen?
Now, does that mean we can just sit on the beach and drink cold drinks and let Jesus magically build his church? No. Because the church is spiritual and practical. Church is spiritual and practical. And I wonder if you heard the beautiful weaving together of the spiritual and reality of Acts chapter 6. Let's go there now. Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read it again. Acts 6 verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Once we understand that verse, this whole passage just makes a whole lot of sense. Picture the early church. It is starting to explode. People are being saved in their hundreds. And uh, the first Christians were Jewish, Hebrews. And then some Greeks, Hellenists, start to get converted. And we've got hundreds now of uh, Christians. But what was happening when things were being divvied up, the widows from the Greeks weren't being fed. They were being neglected. That's verse 1. And the twelve, that is the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen. And, and what you notice about these seven men, they're all Greeks. They're all by Greek names and they're appointed. These they set before the apostles and the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Did, did you see the beautiful weaving together there of word and prayer? There's the spiritual word and prayer and the very practical. Widows aren't being fed. So choose some men from among you and, and make sure they get fed and, and they're appointed. Very practical. So it would be a mistake to think that all we have to do is word and prayer. And if we get that right, God will magically grow the church. It would be equally a mistake to think we have to do everything. We, we have to get in, we have to do it all, and we can ignore the word and prayer. we just got to be really practical. It's Bible, prayer, and sweat. Note how practical Acts 6 is. The, the apostles dealt with the problem, but not by getting in and doing it themselves. They used their leadership to give clear direction. Choose men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. And then once they were chosen, they laid their hands on them. That is, they said, okay, you chose them, church, but we're recognizing them. We're, we're putting our leadership voice over them. Acts 6 is full of management and leadership and job descriptions and, and required qualifications, as well as Bible and prayer. Jesus' church is spiritual and practical, which explains why, you know, in the 21st century, we, we have things like church membership. We, we need to know who the Point Community Church is. We're spiritual and we're 
practical. Uh, we have job descriptions for our ministries. Uh, the job descriptions, they have qualifications on them. Uh, we want to make sure that we're choosing women and men of good repute, of full of the Spirit, uh, full of wisdom for the ministry. Uh, we have a discipleship pathway. We, we want to make sure we're not missing something. Uh, we, we still are connecting with those who are far from Christ. We're raising awareness. And as we meet non-Christians, uh, we know that we want to see them established in the faith. If new people join us and they're already Christians, established in the church. We're, we're deliberate. Now, now, some Christians, I, I know, they think that such leadership and management and structure and, and direction, it, it sort of feels a bit... Uh, I'm just wrong. It feels a bit unspiritual. Why can't we just preach and pray and then let everyone decide what they're going to do? Well, one very real reason is because something might get forgotten. In Acts chapter 6, something very important was getting forgotten, the feeding of the Greek widows. Uh, throughout church history, we see what often gets forgotten as a church gets older is evangelism. We become comfortable with just a, a club for Christians. And furthermore, without direction and structure, we won't grow. You know, like organic church, it only works to up to about 100. Uh, at a, under 100, you sort of know everyone around church and you know everything. But you get beyond that and all of a sudden people and ministry starts to fall between the cracks. By God's grace, we're a church of over 600 people. We need some structure. We need some organization. And I know that some Christians don't like that. So if that's you, I want you to hear me on this point. We have systems and structures because we want them blessed by God. And may He deepen us spiritually. We want Christ in us and us in Christ. That, that, that's our prayer. Now, I've got to wrap all this up, don't I? Church is one of my favorite topics. I could go for a few hours. Um, church, enjoying God's masterpiece. Uh, we've seen that church, it, it's God's people. It's God's kingdom. Church is God's family. Church is God's temple. Church is Jesus' body. Jesus' bride. Church is God's masterpiece. Any one of those biblical metaphors would be enough reason to make church our number one commitment in life. All seven? It's like we've been handed the golden ticket to the chocolate factory. This has been a great series, hasn't it? Church, God's masterpiece. My love and enjoyment of church has been massively bolstered this term. I trust yours has too. And so I, I have a, a big challenge for us as a church. I love being part of our church. You have blessed my family and I tremendously. But I have a, a challenge for us. It's a generational challenge. It's huge. You see, in my Christian lifetime, which is now getting just about on 40 years, I've seen a shift 
for the worse when it comes to church attendance. In the 80s, when I was converted, uh, there was a, a phrase called a twicer. A twicer was a Christian who went to church twice on a Sunday. Because in the 80s, it was just, if you were a Christian, you went to church every Sunday. Like, that was cultured. That was in my lifetime. And I'm not that old, Keziah, okay? Now, when Christian leaders get together and they talk about who the committed Christians are within church, they talk about turning up to a church twice a month. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Just in my lifetime, I've seen every Sunday to twice a month turning up is considered a committed Christian. Now, my challenge is not a return to twice on Sunday. My challenge is once every Sunday. What about when we're on holidays? Well, if you're on holidays in Port Macquarie, you can still come. And if you're not in Port Macquarie, do you know there's other churches in other towns? What about if I'm sick? What about if the house floods on Sunday? This isn't legalism. Jesus actually had some really harsh words for the religious leaders that were trying to stop him doing a healing on a Sabbath. We know that, don't we? Legalism's wrong. But we shouldn't let our fear of legalism stop us from talking about church attendance. Here's the stat for our church. Any given Sunday... Our church only has 64% of us in attendance. Now, here's something I didn't say at morning church. Arvo Church is a bit higher. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Which also gives me a bit of confidence that uh, we can get to the goal I'm going to set, which I'm going to tell you in a second. But 64%. That's turning up 33 Sundays, not turning up 19 Sundays. We've become comfortable with being away 19 Sundays a year. And that's got a lot more to do with being away on holidays or sickness or the house flooding. It's these excuses that came out of a survey done in the last 12 months by Lifeway. Um, it, it, it's things like... A, well, it's a really nice day, I'll go to the beach today. It's a really cold day, I'll stay at home today. I've had friends or family visiting, I'm not going to go to church today. As um, our book of the term, Unmissable Church, so lovingly highlighted for us, these statistics about church attendance declining so much take us by surprise. Um, I, I know that when um, I talk to some people around our church, they go, no, that's not me. And, th and then they start adding up. Oh, that is me. I'm away a lot. In the last uh, 23 years, uh, of my 40 years of being a Christian, I've been a pastor, haven't I? So I take some of the blame. Why haven't I talked about the fact we've really plummeted in church attendance? And so here's my challenge. Here's my generational challenge. Let, let's go for this. Let's go from 64% to 90%. I know we can do it because in my lifetime I've seen us plummet from 100% down. And I also know, like, we're the only period in history 
And we're the only culture around the world right now that goes, that's acceptable. Most Christians throughout history and most Christians around the world go, I cannot wait to get to church. Church is unmissable. And so church, let's do this. We can do this. Let's go from 64% to 90%. Not because I want our end of year report to look good. Let's make church unmissable. Because church is God's people. God's kingdom. God's family. God's temple. Jesus' body. Jesus' bride. Church is God's masterpiece. I'm going to pray. Father God, you are merciful and patient and kind. Uh, Adam and Eve walked away from you and we have all followed and yet you pursued. You sent your son, Jesus, you came to rescue, to save, to gather a people around the King. And so, Father, we pray that this term won't, won't just be a little moment and that we move on from, but this, this term and being reminded of your church and seeing your picture and your view of church will, will kindle our hearts and set them on fire for a lifetime of building your church for your glory. And so we pray this for your glory and our joy. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon. Or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.